Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Estella Coughlin, and you are listening to The Nest Podcast. To give a backstory, I was born in China and grew up in North Dakota. I have a huge love for podcasting, and I decided to take my three favorite things, mental health, self-improvement, and adoption, and create what you are now listening to. Let's get into it. Hello, welcome back to the Nest Podcast. It is episode three. Let's go get hyped. Okay, now I didn't really sound much enthusiastic in that tone. I get it, but I'm excited. I'm excited. We have a great episode planned for today, and I'm really excited to share my thoughts and everything and to help bring up conversation and awareness on mental health. So that is what the episode is going to be about, is mental health. And as you know, that is one of the central key components and topics of the Nest podcast and something that I'm really passionate about. So before we get into the main part of the episode, let's talk about what kind of time of the year it is, like what what's going on in, in my life right now, at least. Well. For me, the next week, well, the next week that I'm recording this, but it would actually be, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, which would be May 10th, don't quote me on that, but May 10th, that will be my last official week of high school. It's really weird to say. That's all I've known. All I've known is school. Like, it's crazy. We start going to school like, how old? Four? Four or five, I think. I'm actually not really sure. But we start going to school at a very young age for education. And I think education is extremely important and such a blessing. But it's crazy to think that's like, all I can remember is like, okay, I go to school from like eight o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. And it's like every day besides summer and weekends and holidays, it's like, all I know is school. All I know is homework all the time. Just like all this stuff. It's going to be very different. And I also think it's going, well, I know it's going to be sad. I'm already getting sad. A lot of people that I've talked to, like, yes, they're sad, but they're also excited. For me, I am really excited for what the next phase of my life looks like and opening the new chapter in my life. But I will say I am very sad. I'm also nervous, scared, excited. You know, I have like all the emotions you can think of. But aside from that, we're all going through this together. And it's like, even if I don't necessarily talk to everybody in my grade, or I don't really know them that well, it's the fact that all these people, for the most part, every day go to the same place you go. Every day they are educated by the same educators you were educated by. Every day they go to the same place, they learn the same content. You know, it's just like you are always in this place at all times with this person in like the same building. And it's just the fact that there's a community aspect there. You know, you don't really even have to talk to them, know them that well. But it's the fact that we grew up together, that we've watched others at their highs and their lows. I think that's sad that this is all we know and we see these familiar faces and the whole next phase of life, we will not be seeing 
like any familiar faces. I know for me, like I will see no familiar faces. I will not know like anything about the place I'm in. That's exciting to me, but it's also scary because like I said, I've known all these people literally my whole entire life. I've grew up with these people. I've experienced my life. So I think anybody would be sad about that, but I am sad, but I'm also excited. And I'm looking forward to the future. And it's like, everybody does this. It's going to be okay. Going off to college, moving away, I can do it. So aside from that fact, aside from high school, I'm doing good. I'm stressed for college. Nobody prepares you for how stressful senior year is. For all the juniors right now who are going to be seniors, this is your warning. It is going to be very stressful. First off, finding a college if you decide to go to college or finding a job or finding like what you want to do. Don't get me wrong, you do not have to know what you want to do after high school, but you have to kind of have a game plan, right? So even that's stressful, finding a game plan for what you want to do, but it's stressful. Everybody does it and you can do it too. Now with that being said, senior year is also exciting and fun, but now let's say you are going to college, working with your college to find a roommate, find housing, room and board, to get registered for classes, orientation, all that whole thing about getting into college and signing up for college and taking all the tests, knowing what classes to take, yeah, that is also stressful. But this is a part of life. This is a part of growing up. This is a part of learning. So it's something that everybody does. But I don't think, well, I know I was not warned or prepared for how stressful this kind of season, if you will, the senior season, senior second semester going into the summer. Nobody really prepared you for how stressful it was going to be. I mean, in my experience, it's stressful, but for others, it may not be. But for the majority of people that I know, I feel like it's pretty stressful for them. But maybe it's just me, though. But just a heads up, so you're not going in blind. Yes, senior year is laid back, but the whole college stuff and figuring out what you want to do, applying for scholarships, whatnot, that's a whole part-time job in and of itself. So I just wanted to warn you before, not trying to scare you or anything, but yeah. So... Grad parties are starting, and I'm excited for the grad parties because A, free food, B, it's literally grad parties are, well, to celebrate the graduate. It's also like a going away party almost, which is also sad. Okay, enough of the sadness. Enough of that. I just wanted to let you know, you know, graduation, all that, my thoughts on that, whatnot. Now, we can go into the topic, which is mental health. Now, I have said this on the first episode. But I will say it again. I am by no means a therapist, a psychologist. I'm not a medical professional. I have no degree in anything. Everything that I say is my thoughts and opinions, but they may not be true. They're not medical advice, nothing like that. I'm not qualified. I'm not trained in any way. So this is just what I think, my thoughts and my opinions. So take everything with as much or as little weight as you please, but just know that I'm not qualified, certified, degree, educated in anything mental health. All I have is I'm a human being and I struggle with my mental health. I have a mental health and more specifically, if we're narrowing it in, an emphasis on anxiety. So I don't know about all mental illnesses, all mental health. I am more knowledgeable, if you would say, in anxiety. 
So I just wanted to put that out there again before I get into anything that I say. Now that we have that covered, happy Mental Awareness Month. Happy Mental Awareness Month. Right now, it is May. And you know what time it is? It is Mental Health Awareness Month. That's awesome. So first off, happy Mental Health Awareness Month. This is great. May, this is a great month. Celebrate mental health. Bring awareness to mental health. Destigmatize mental health. Bring up conversations. And if you're thinking about that or seeking help or anything, right now, this is your sign to do it. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. So, what is mental health? I defined this in the first episode, but mental health is our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. So it's like everything in our minds, in our heads, in our thoughts. And it affects how we think and how we feel and how we act. It determines how we handle stress, how we relate to others, and how to make healthy choices. And mental health is extremely important. Like I said before, everybody has a physical health. So therefore, everybody also has a mental health. It's how, how are we doing in our head? How are we doing in our mind? So, to define that, there would be your definition. To get some backstory on Mental Health Awareness Month, it had been observed in May ever since 1949. There are a lot of things you can do for mental health, a lot of things that you can celebrate, a lot of things you can bring awareness to, but in the grand scheme of things, what is mental health month? What's the purpose of it? So the purpose, obviously, is to increase awareness of the importance of mental health and wellness in, more specifically, in the United States. But it's to spread awareness and to help people understand the purpose of mental health and wellness in in people's lives and to celebrate recovery from mental illness. Mental health is essentially a person's overall health, if you want to say, but it is extremely incredible and powerful, and it's such a gift that we have something like Mental Health Awareness Month. Now, with that, I want to say that people do things for Mental Health Awareness Month, and I'm going to give you guys some things that you can do right now and some things that you can do to celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month, because like I said, if you're a human, which I know you are, you have a mental health. I know you do. So this applies to everybody, no matter if you struggle with your mental health or not, we all have one and we can all celebrate it. So first, you can start journaling. It's very good for your mental health. It's very good for just reflection. It's very good for putting your thoughts down. So it's a very good method. A lot of people journal even if they maybe don't struggle with their mental health, but I do know that it is a very healthy coping mechanism, and it's just a very healthy thing to do in general. So I think that's a good one to start doing, or even just journal once in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month. You can do as much or as little of anything as you would like. The next thing you can do is hang out with your friends. Go out and do something fun. Treat yourself. Have a good laugh, because guess what? Laughter is one of the best medicines. Now, like I said, I'm not a healthcare professional. But there's nothing like it. Even though that may seem weird, I'm not kidding. Laughter releases dopamine, chemicals in your brain. It releases stress, anger. Like, it's one of the best things ever. 
and you cannot tell me otherwise. So just take time with friends and good company and, and laugh and have a good time. Now, the next thing you could do, you could go on a walk. You know, just go for a nice little nature stroll, if you will. Get outside. Go get some sunlight. If it's rainy, go get some fresh air. You know, go take a walk. Be out in nature. Exercise. Do that because exercise is really good for someone's health. Not only physical health, but I could definitely argue that exercise is just as important for your physical as it is for your mental health. So get out and do some exercising. You know, find a gym buddy. Go do a fitness class. Just go take a walk in nature. Walk your dog. Find a friend to meet up and just go for a walk. It's that easy. Next, you could share your mental health story. Now, I think that is what I'm doing in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month. And so now, since I'm doing something... I hope you can take my story, and I'm going to go pretty vague to start out with, but I hope you can take at least something from my story and my thoughts, and hopefully relate it to your life, and find comfort. You know, that's all really anybody wants to someone to relate to, so I hope my story and my experiences can be used for good. So, another thing you could do is you could join a virtual discussion about mental health. Now, since everything is literally all online, you know, Zoom, Google Meets, whatever it is, if you will, everything's online. You can find a virtual discussion on mental health. You could just be in your bed. You could just turn it on and just listen. That is something that you could do for Mental Health Awareness Month. You don't have to talk. You don't have to show your face. All you have to do is get into the meeting and just turn your volume up and listen. That's all. I think that would be a really great way to do something for Mental Health Awareness Month. Next, you could donate to support mental health. There are some really great charities out there that do a lot of great work for people struggling with their mental health. So that would be a really good way to be involved in Mental Health Awareness Month. And so, as that being the last one I'm going to share with you today, now let's get into more of my story with my mental health. So, like I said, this is just my story. This is more of an emphasis on anxiety. That is what I know most about. That is what I've experienced. I've experienced just anxiety. So, with that being said, let's get right into it. It all started when I was about, I think, second grade. I don't know how old I would be. But I was pretty young, and I always, well, first off, I'm an overthinker. Second off, I'm a perfectionist. Third off, I'm very hard on myself, and I want to be the best I can be like anyone, but I push myself too hard, and I did push myself too hard to my breaking point. It all started when I was in second grade. At the lunchroom, we'd walk up to lunch, and certain smells really bothered me. And so I remember smelling food. And it's not even like a bad scent of food, but it's just if there's like a strong scent of food where I'm like already like anxious, my anxiety stemmed from, I believe it stemmed from a bad experience with something. Now, this is something that is common for other people. For example, let's say you got stung by a bee. You got stung by a bee and you hated it. After that, you cried, you panicked a little bit, and 
now every time you see a bee, you get really scared and nervous and have to like go inside and like ruins your day or something like that. And so you always avoid bees. You hate bees. I know people probably don't really enjoy bees that much anyway, but just think of that. It's like every time you see a bee, you're like nervous and scared. And so now you like get anxious anytime you see a bee. So that's pretty much what happened. I remember it was fish for me. Now, don't get me wrong. Fun fact. I love to fish, but I will not eat the fish. I wish I did. I wish I did. But I love to fish, but I will not eat the fish, which would be so convenient. It'd be so convenient. But it was because of the time there was fish being served at the school. And I just didn't like the smell. And so I never ate it. And after a while, every time it would be fish, I would get hot. My heart rate would go up. I'd be sweating. I'd be nervous. Like this feeling would come over me. I'd be overthinking. And I didn't know what it was. I was just thinking, oh, I'm just like nervous. But I started to think like... Why am I nervous? And I was nervous because previously, well, when I smelled fish, I didn't like fish. I didn't like the smell of fish. So I just got nervous of smelling fish. So going into the cafeteria one day, it was fish. Lo and behold, it was fish. And I became flustered, really scared, did not like the smell, so hot, panicked. And I would run to the garbage can and I would gag. That would be my response to my anxiety and to my panic. But at second grade, I didn't know this was anxiety. I was just like, oh, I don't like the smell. So in reaction, I gag. I'm just nervous. I gag. So I'm like, I'm not thinking anything of it until the next lunch. The next time we had fish, I would gag. I didn't like to gag. Obviously, nobody likes to gag, but I wouldn't be throwing up. It was just a gagging, but I don't like to gag. Nobody likes to gag. So then from that, it turned into every single lunch because I would walk through the same route of the cafeteria. I would be walking the same route and then feel this immense amount of fear and anxiety. It's just like the environment around me. It's triggering my anxiety, but I didn't know that. So then it turned into every day at lunch. I would panic. I would get to the back of the line so I can just quickly find a garbage and gag, you know, and just be anxious on my own because because I was a perfectionist and, and I was a people pleaser. I never wanted to show people almost like this weakness that I had. But I know it's not a weakness, but it was something that I just really didn't grasp and understand what it was. Then it moved into every day where I would look at all the lunches beforehand. That would get me nervous. Then I would look at all the times the fish would be served. That would make me extra nervous. I would pack to-go lunches. I got to a point where I was just gagging all the time and so afraid of the lunchtime that I would plan it out because I was so afraid of the lunchtime. And we knew it was like the smells. Me and my mom, we went to Claire's and we got you know the scenty chapsticks? So we got those. I remember we got like a Coca-Cola one, and that was a really good one. And like a popsicle chapstick. What I did with them is I kept them in my lunchbox, and every time for lunch, I would take a big chunk of the chapstick, and I would place it on my upper lip so I could smell it. So I wasn't like holding it up to my nose and sniffing it as I went in the lunchroom, but I would put like a ton of it on, so that was the only thing I could smell. The logic was there, 
the execution was creative. But then that made me think about it even more. It's like, okay, now I need to put the chapstick on my lip in order to not be anxious. I need to do this and to do this. And then it turned into, oh, I'm still gagging with this chapstick on. Maybe the chapstick is upsetting me. And it was just this constant cycle of, I didn't know what was going on. I'm so nervous for lunchtime. It's like, I like the food. We had great food. I'm with my friends. I'm not in a weird environment. But it was just like that one experience triggered many, many other experiences that that ended with me gagging and terrified. And then it came in where I had to eat lunch with my principal. I would miss recess with my friends. As a kid, the principal was great, but you want to be with your friends. You don't want to be like eating in the principal's office because I feel like it, it has a negative connotation. It's like, oh, you're in the principal's office. Are you in trouble? It was not that. But like I said, I was I was so young that I didn't really understand what was happening. You know, in my head, I just knew I don't like to go in the lunchroom. I hate the smell of fish. I know that I put chapstick on to help. Then my mom brought me to the doctor And we kind of talked it out. I was like, I don't really know what it is, but I get really, really nervous. I don't know what it is, but I was so young. Like, I didn't know any better. I'm like, oh, I'm just nervous. But this nervous is sticking around. I'm like, I thought nervousness goes away after a while. That kind of confused me, but they didn't really do anything. Also, because I was probably so young, it's like, you can do stuff, but it's more like, okay, just make sure she's getting enough exercise. She's being with her friends. Just like watch it. I mean, I really don't know what you would do there, but you just want to do your best to be there for your child. So I still kept going to school. From that to the lunch, it turned into anxiety about a test. It turned into anxiety of speaking in public, which those are a lot more common. And, and it's just like, eating around people, even people I'm comfortable with. It's just like the thought of food. Now, food was like a stimulus, stimuli that caused me to be anxious. First, it was like the smell. Then it was like the food. Then it's like the environment I'm in. And so it has nothing to do with the people. I mean, it does have something to do with the people, like with people that I really don't know and I'm not feeling well. It just makes it worse because it's like that to me, I felt was a weakness. And I'm like, I can't be anxious today. I can't show people my vulnerable side, which was my anxiety. So, you know, it got into a lot of other areas in my life and it started affecting me in my everyday life to test. It would come in phases. It would come in stages. It would like be really bad. Then it would be good. Then it'd be bad again. It would start up and it has gone through that even up, up until now. I'm a senior. Last week of senior year. And I've lived with this. But I can say that as hard as it is, I did get through it. But I'm still going through it. So the fight's not over. The fight will never be over. But I'm willing to fight. And that's something that's very important. What's your reason for fighting? What's your reason? What's your reason? But everybody's got to have a reason. But also, you know, I won't let anxiety win. Maybe that's just my own ego. But... One thing that did comfort me was that everybody struggles. And so hopefully people may not know this about me. Well, when I was young, you know, I didn't know what it was. So I couldn't be like, oh, yeah, I was anxious. I had anxiety. You know, I didn't even know what that word meant. I'm like, oh, I'm just nervous. Like, oh, I don't like the smells. Oh, I don't like the food. And so I got really good at making excuses and wiggling my way out of meals, wiggling my way out of lunchtime out of 
going to a birthday party with a friend to eat. I got really good at, well, I wasn't even actually good. I would just say like, oh, like I ate before or I'm not feeling too hungry. But I never wanted to be rude. But the thing with anxiety is that a lot of people who are anxious can come off as very rude. Now, if you're anxious, you're in fight or flight. So you can't be really worrying about other people's feelings. Like you're in fight or flight, but that doesn't make them mean. Because when you have anxiety, you are in fight or flight mode. So if you're in fight or flight mode, you don't have time to be at everybody's beckoning call. You don't have time to person please. Even though when I would have anxiety flares, if you will, I would always try to be a person pleaser. And that caused me a lot more anxiety being a person pleaser. It's, I felt the need to be perfect. I felt the need to do everything to the best of my ability, which yes, you should do your best, but not at the cost of your psychological well-being, which is your mental health, because you need to learn to prioritize yourself. Maybe not first, but you need to prioritize yourself as well. You are just as important as those around you. And so that was something that I just needed to hear, needed to know, and I needed to believe. You need to believe it. I get into middle school. I'm still anxious. Couldn't eat lunch. But I've never had to go home for this. I would just toughen it out. I was probably, mentally speaking the toughest and hardest on myself for my anxiety because I would just be in fight or flight mode, but I would be fighting. I'd be fighting my mind, my mind of the thoughts of gagging, of the thoughts of going home, of the thoughts of just trying to skip lunch. You get so many opportunities to escape and run from your problem that I had to fight every day to not. But also what, if you would say, helped me fight anxiety thoughts that my brain was telling me, it would be because I'm a person pleaser. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to eat because the people will bring it up and maybe make me feel bad. Well, maybe that was a selfish part. And so with the anxiety, it's like, okay, I have this vulnerable side, but I don't want to show people like that's a weakness. I don't want to show people that I struggle. Then people will think I'm weird. I'm an outcast. But now as I get older, I have learned so much. And even though having anxiety sucks, it sucks so bad. Good things have come out of it, though. So that's what I really try to focus on. The good things that have come out of this, like my podcast. Now I've gotten to the point where I'm able to talk about it. I'm at a point where I want to talk about it, where I want to be vulnerable with people and where I want to educate people. Because I've had this experience and I don't want to have people feel alone or feel like they need to live up to a standard because that's just not the way it is. It's just not. You don't have to live to be perfect because nobody's perfect. You don't have to be strong all the time. That it's okay to cry. It's okay to have emotion. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be nervous. So that's just something that I'm grateful that I'm to the point where I can talk about this. Anyway, getting back to middle school, I got very good at making excuses as to why I don't eat. You know, oh, the food's bad. Oh, I'm just not really feeling this food today. Or I actually got a snack like a little while ago, so I'm not 
hungry right now. Oh, I'm getting a snack after school. I'm not hungry right now. When in fact, I was very hungry, but I cannot force myself to eat. Not even force. I just couldn't eat. If a piece of food got too close to my nose, I would gag. Because that was just the response to my anxiety. And I've learned so much from my anxiety. I've learned so much about anxiety. And now that I know, every time you are anxious, from my experience, like I said, not a medical professional, but I think you're in fight or flight mode at all times. Whenever you're anxious, immediately fight or flight mode comes on. So it's like, even though, let's say I'm eating a piece of pizza, even though I love pizza, if I'm in fight or flight mode, heck no, I will not be eating that slice of pizza no matter how hungry I am. My brain told me I'm in fight or flight mode, so I'm not eating that. Even if I may be starving and so hungry, like I've went a very long time without eating because I was just so anxious. I was so anxious. But when I get home, oh, I can have that like same exact food like at home, like in the comfort of my own home. I'm totally fine. But when I'm out in public, when I'm with a friend, when I'm with like my best friends, I'll still make excuses. That's just the way it was for me. That's just what happened. I mean, I can't change anything about it now, but it was just the way it was. So it was still bad during middle school. So this has just been going on and off for phases. And now in high school, freshman year, you're the underdogs, you're the freshmen, you get picked on. You're a freshman. The name speaks for itself. So being a freshman, I was so anxious in middle school. So what? What thinks this would be different? Well, I don't know because first day, I was anxious at lunchtime. The rest of the year, freshman year, I was anxious at lunchtime. Then it moved on to the stress of high school. It came in and it took me down. What can I say? It took me down. Every morning, I'd be so anxious to go to school. Before, I was just anxious about lunchtime. Now it got into the point where I'm well, I'm very anxious to go to school. I don't want to go to school. I'm like, how can I make up an excuse to skip school? But I've never gotten to, to skip school because of my anxiety, which I've been mad about. But in retrospect, it's for the best. Because if you get too comfortable with something that is not healthy, which is skipping school when you're anxious, like I wasn't sick. I was anxious, though. My mental health wasn't well. Then you get comfortable in that excuse. You get comfortable with saying, I just need to stay home because I'm too anxious to go to school. I'm not facing my problems. And so that is a problem, not facing your problems. That's a problem in and of itself. And so for me, I just want to be a runner. I want to run away from all my problems. But in life, as you probably have experienced, you can't really run away from all your problems, much less any of your problems. They will come back and they will catch up to you. You got to face your problems. No matter as hard and as difficult as it is, you just got to face your problems. And that for me is something that I had to do. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. But it's something people have to do. So in high school, I remember some days so vividly. I know exactly my emotions, what I was thinking. I'd come to school, I'd be so anxious on the drive there. I'd be so anxious waiting for the first period to start. I would be so anxious during the first period that I can't focus in class. All I can focus on is my mind and what my mind is telling me and the anxiety like, oh my gosh, like constant threat or something. It's not like I wasn't in a safe environment. I was, but 
my brain was just always in fight or flight mode where my thoughts would be racing so much. And it would just be like, oh, it's like it's hard to breathe or your throat's closing or you're going to be out of breath. You're sweating. Just like stuff that's like not relevant. You know, it's just like weird stuff. But to me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is terrible. And then from the first time feeling anxiety in first period, every day after I'd be anxious for first period. Then the first day that I'm anxious for second period, that turns into the rest of the year I'm anxious in second period. Now the next time it passes over into third period, next thing I know every day I'm anxious in third period. At the end of the period in third period, my anxiety starts going away. Every day after that, it's third period, my anxiety starts to go away. But I'm very anxious beginning of school, first period, second period, and majority of third period. So that's just how it was for me. And it's just like anxiety follows a routine. It follows a routine. It doesn't like change. And that's something that I've learned with anxiety. It's harder to adjust. It's like, okay, what's happening? And I've noticed that your mind is never silent. Now, I don't know what other people's minds are, but I know my mind was and still is never silent. It's always thinking of something. It's always brainstorming another. I'm always go, go, go. I'm I'm hard on myself. I'm just go, go, go. And it became very exhausting. Being anxious all the time for like the whole day is so exhausting. People underestimate the power of what anxiety can do to someone. After that, it makes you so tired. Even after school on a normal day without being anxious, I'm tired. But add in being anxious all day into the equation, I would be exhausted after every single day. But I also w- wasn't able to focus in school. I mean, for like the first couple periods, I wasn't able to focus. But it's like, what am I going to do? I-, I can't just like not show up for school. A, because I'm in high school now, now my GPA counts for college. And B, like, I'm in high school, it's like, no rest days. I, you know, I was still in a lot of sports and everything. I just had a lot of things to manage. And high school is not easy to begin with. So I had all this stuff piled up. I had so much stuff. That, that was where my breaking point was. And I can say it without a doubt. My hardest year of my life with my anxiety would be my freshman year without a doubt. Without a doubt. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't awful. The worst thing in the world. But for me, with my anxiety, it was, it wasn't good. My anxiety was not good. It just wasn't. And like I said, it would come in phases, but all freshman year, I was struggling with that. And you know what? People that I know that listen to this might not even know it. Because you know why? Anxiety is an invisible illness. Anxiety is an invisible illness. It's not physical. You can't see somebody's anxiety. I mean, you can see symptoms and signs that they show, but you can't, like, see somebody's anxiety. So that doesn't make sense. So it's an invisible illness. It's cognitively, it's in your head. You can't see what people are thinking. It's in your head. You can't see anxiety when someone's anxious. So... People expect you to act as if you don't have anxiety because it's not physical. You can't see it. So why should we believe it? Oh, you're making this up. You're crazy. It's all in your head. Just don't think about it. Those are some of the responses people with anxiety get. I've gotten some of them. And it's like, just stop thinking about it. Oh, I'd love to stop thinking about it if I could, but I can't. I know people are trying to help, 
But it's just the whole fact of this is something a majority of people struggle with. You'd be surprised as to how many people struggle with anxiety in their mental health. It is so common. But it's also so sad that so many people do. You'd be surprised. And then so that's when I first started to reach out for help. And reaching out for help, let me say this right now. Reaching out for help makes you strong. It does not make you weak. It makes you so strong. You have the courage to reach out for help. You're vulnerable. You're maybe not in the best place, but you took that last ounce of strength and you put it towards something that will hopefully enhance your life for the better. And that is getting help. Now, a lot of forms of help, therapy, medication, coping mechanisms. There's a lot of ways to help your anxiety. There's no cure for anxiety, but there are a lot of ways to help it. And it's common. So at least you know that there is hope for you and for anybody with mental health struggles, mental illness, there is hope for you. I promise you that. If I can promise one thing, there is hope for you and that is what I can promise. And now I don't make promises that I can't keep, but I know I can promise you that. Now the rest of high school, it was all right. I did get a lot better. Sophomore year, I got a lot better. Junior year, got a lot better. But it did kind of flare up junior year, but I also do remember that's when I started some treatments for my anxiety. That's because I reached out for help. And that was one of the best things that I've ever done. Because as I got older, I knew a lot more about anxiety. Because I have the internet at my fingertips. I knew a lot more about anxiety. I knew what I was feeling. I knew all this stuff. And so in a way that also made me more anxious. Because it's like, okay, I know I have anxiety. So therefore, I know someone who has anxiety gets anxious. So then I get anxious about my anxiety. So it's just that never-ending cycle. And it's like, sometimes what you don't know won't hurt you. Sometimes what you know will hurt you. I think that is kind of a phrase, but I also just made it up. So take it with a grain of salt. Take what you will. Now, it's just like anxiety, the invisible illness. But it is just as destructive as physical illnesses. It is. It's just as destructive. And so, like I said, freshman year was was a rough year. was a rough year for me. That's when I quit two sports. I quit soccer. I quit volleyball before and basketball. I played golf because it was relaxing. It was calm. The coach was nice, very understanding. But in the other sports, it was so much for me to handle on top of everything that I had that sports became a breaking point for me because I knew I didn't have to be there. But it was like I've played sports all my life. It's like I probably should keep going. But that was my breaking point. Sports for me was my breaking point. And that's when I really had to reflect and be like, okay, some things you just can't do alone. You need to let others help you. So that's another thing I want to say. You need to let people help you because people want to help you. And you are not a burden to people. And if you feel like a burden... You are not. Just get some rest. Take a snooze. Get some rest. Take a nap and wake up. Be in a better mindset. That's why I gotta say for that. But yes, right now, currently, I am doing very well with my eating anxiety stuff. I'm doing very well. But then I notice that anxiety, for me, not only comes in that form, but it also goes in many other forms. No nervousness. But I've always been a person pleaser. And I've always been a perfectionist. I never want to let anybody down. So that became something for me that I didn't realize, but my anxiety kind of creeped into that. 
made me always anxious about never letting people down. And so it was just making me in constant fear of like my every single move, every action, what I did with my life. And so that controlled me. But I didn't realize that was the anxiety kind of controlling me and putting these thoughts and doubts and fears in my head. I just didn't know that. But then that's when I realized my anxiety was controlling that aspect. I was so hard on myself. Even to this day, I will say that I am very hard on myself. And I work very hard. I will say that I'm not trying to break, but I work very hard in what I do. I take my academics, my hobbies, my passions very seriously. Now, like I said, I'm not trying to break, but it's all because I never allow myself to take a rest. I never allow myself to take a break. And that's something that I'm working on Like as we speak. I never rest. It's always go, go, go. I'm just going to be very honest. It's hard for me to rest for a second. It's hard for me to just sit in my bed and watch an episode of Netflix. Where before, before when I was more struggling with the eating part, it's weird. Before, with that, oh, I could like come home and sit and watch like Netflix till the time I went to bed, like, and I had no guilt. But now if I did that, I would feel so much guilt, it would eat me alive. Guilt is something that is not fun. Guilt. And my mind will guilt myself. And so that's something that I'm working through right now, just being honest. And I'm sure a lot of people experience guilt because guilt is something that is a human emotion, something that everyone has experienced. And I know you have. I know you have. It's a human emotion. If you're struggling with it, we're in the same boat together here. And I think the phrase of hustle mentality and like the phrase on the grind or whatever, even though I say that, like, it's like, it's grind time. I've been saying that a lot because... Sometimes it is grind time, like, okay, we got a deadline, like, an assignment, like, a whole project is due, like, tonight, like, it's grind time, I have nothing done, then yeah, that's fine. But I feel like the culture of hustle culture, hustle mentality, grind time, like, every day you grind and stuff, I feel like that is also a toxic mindset. And here's my reasoning why. Yes, it's, like, about working hard, like, having a successful day. There is nothing wrong with that, but I think it People can twist it, not everybody, but some people twist it into hustle culture, hustle mentality. We always have to be doing something or else we're falling behind. Because the last thing that people want to do is to fall behind. Because it's like, since I'm in school right now, if you miss a day of school, it feels like you fall so far behind. It's like, I need to take a week to catch up on what I miss in that one day. It's insane. It forces you to drive through your sicknesses yeah if you're sick it's like you just want, want to be at school because you don't want to take the rest of your you're still gonna be sick you don't want to take the rest of your sick time to be working on this week's assignment but also a whole day of worth of assignments that take like so many hours to do so then that also is not good for people especially children because then you don't want to fall behind Let's say, for instance, you sleep 24 hours. Now, what a, what a great rest. On average, people don't sleep on average for 24 hours. So that's a full day. Would you want to sleep a full day? Okay, some people say, yes, that sounds great. But for a lot of people, they'd be like, no, I wouldn't be tired. Like, I don't want to sleep a full day. I got things I got to do. I got obligations. I got plans. That's great. Yeah. But in another reason why I think, this is what I think. This is my example. For instance, sleep a full day or just not miss out on a day. Let's say you just don't do anything for a day. Why people would want to just do nothing for a day is because people don't want to fall behind. I think that's true. 
more so for the young, younger people and for middle-aged people. I feel like, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, is huge. But I also feel like the last thing they want is to fall behind. I mean, I know I do not want to fall behind, but I also know in life, you just don't want to fall behind. So the hustle mentality, the getting on the grind, whatever, if you may, I feel like people take it as no days off, no time to rest. If I rest, oh, I'm behind. You know, if I watch one Netflix episode in my bed, oh, I'm behind. Oh, I'm lazy. Oh, I'm unproductive. And then the things start going in your head like, I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm out of shape. I'm this or that, this or that. When you think like, oh, you watch one Netflix episode in bed, like, that's fine. But in people's heads, it gets to them and it's like, now I'm behind. While I was watching my Netflix show, someone else was at the gym or somebody else was working towards curing a medical condition, whatever, if you will. But that's a wrong frame of mind, I think. We need to be better at being kind to ourselves. Hashtag be kind to your mind. Let's make that a hashtag. I'm pretty sure it is, but that's the one we're going with today. Hashtag be kind to your mind. Ain't that the truth? Sorry, I kind of got off on a tangent of the mental health stuff. Like, I could talk forever about just, like, mental health. And I could talk about, like, how it was when I told my friends about my struggles, my family about my struggles. I can talk about a lot of things. But just in total, just like, I struggled for a long time. It's very hard. I still struggle now. There are many forms of anxiety. But like I said, I'm more knowledgeable in anxiety. And I know more and I can speak more on that. So even though it is mental health, yes, that's the topic. The main part of mental health, the subtopic is anxiety. I don't know really any other ones. Like I can give general facts and what I find on the internet, but I can't give experience as to the way I can give to anxiety. Now, my anxiety also is not nearly as terrible and as bad as sadly what other people go through. But this is just my story, like I said. And I just want to spread awareness, spread positivity, get conversations on it. And what better time to do it than Mental Health Awareness Month? So if you're struggling, please go seek help. Tell people because you have no idea how many people struggle too and how many people want to help you. You have no idea. So I ask you now, if you do need help or are struggling, don't be ashamed. Don't, don't be ashamed and just go get help. So that was actually not mainly towards like my anxiety. Well, yeah, I did talk about my anxiety story, but I just also talked about like some thoughts on mental health. Anyway, I think that's all I'm going to I think that's all I'm going to say for like my story. I'm doing a lot better now. So now we are going to get into the questions. That's like this is like a very fun part. So, I ask questions on my Instagram. Go follow it at the Nest Podcast with Estella to Give your input to give your feedback, ask me questions, and I'll answer them on the episode. Like always, these are anonymous, so ask away, and I will answer them to the best of my ability. So, the first question says, what are some of the best ways to cope with stress? First off, I would say journaling is good. Journaling is good to cope with stress. I think taking a nice shower being clean and being organized, that's a good way to cope. I think it really is. Your environment, cleaning up your room, cleaning up your apartment, your house, 
That's a good coping way. I don't know if it's technically coping, but it's a very good way to help ease the stress and your anxiety in everyday life. But some other coping mechanisms would be breathing, taking deep breaths. People underestimate the power of taking a nice deep breath. That's what calms your heart. That's what calms you. So people underestimate that power. Another coping mechanism for stress is to meditate. Now I know meditating, just breathing, just relaxing yourself, focusing on your breath, focusing on being in reality. Because when you're anxious, you tend to think of an alternate world, essentially like the worst case scenarios. You want to really make sure you're in reality. Like, okay, I'm not in danger. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm not in danger. I'm okay. Take a breath. And yeah. Another way to cope with stress is to talk about your stress. Talk about what's causing you stress. Call up a friend. Heck, I've called up a friend when I've been anxious. And it's been one of the best things. It helped me so much. So just call up a friend. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm stressed, so I'm calling you. You can just say, okay, I was just wondering if we could talk for a little bit. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm, I'm stressed right now, because you can just be like, hey, you just want to call, talk? Just talk to somebody. You don't have to be talking about all the stress stuff. You just be talking about your day. Get your mind off the stress. So organize your life. Get a planner. That's a great way to cope. That's also a great way to relieve stress. So the next question, any advice on maintaining an optimistic mindset? Well, this is a kind question because maybe they're saying I am optimistic. And I will say, I do think I'm a very optimistic person. I do think that I am. So an advice for maintaining an optimistic mindset, first off, quote, everything happens for a reason. I really think everything does happen for a reason. So that's my opinion on it. I think everything happens for a reason. So keeping that mindset and it's like, it's okay, whatever happened, this happened for a reason. Something good came out of it, even though maybe all you can see is something bad. But look for the good that came out of this situation and everything. Just look for the good. Keep an optimistic mindset. Yeah, just look for the good. Look for opportunities to grow. Look to be the best person you can be in, the best version of yourself. And I think you can't really go wrong. Another way of being optimistic is not being so hard on yourself. Now, that one's a little hard for me because, like I said, I am hard on myself and I, and I strive for perfection as to a fault and to a strength that it is. Take it as you will. But another way on maintaining an optimistic mindset is to know that we're all humans and to relate to every single human in a way. It's like, no matter your faults, your strengths, your weaknesses, your successes, we're all humans. That's kind of what I go with. We're just all human beings. We're people. I said this before and I say it again. We experience emotion. We fail. We succeed. We can relate to each other in that. So I'm just optimistic. But I just think that helps me maintain an optimistic mindset. Next question. What are some healthy ways to cope with poor mental health? So poor mental health in general. Oh, I'm going to also say this question. What are some ways to deal with anxiety? Okay, so I'm going to kind of rope those two questions together also with some of the best ways to cope with stress. I think they can all be kind of answered together. So like I said, getting a planner, organizing your life, journaling, listening to music, breathing, talking to somebody, meditating, focusing on your breath, and taking it easy, not being so hard on yourself. I know easier said than done, so I won't just say it. Here's how to not be so hard on yourself. It's to show compassion to yourself. Treat, here. here's this mindset. Take this in. Treat yourself as you would treat your best friend. Because the way you talk to your best friend 
I know the way you talk to your best friend and the way you talk to yourself, they're two totally different people and voices. The way you talk to your friend is not the way you talk to yourself, and the way you talk to yourself is not the way you talk to your best friend. I want you to talk to yourself as you would talk to your best friend. The way you talk to somebody that you respect, that you care for, that you love. Talk to yourself like that. Just do it. Talk to yourself like that. So I'll just say, yeah, I think I'm just going to end with that on both of the questions. I mean, like I said, journaling, taking a bath, taking a shower, exercising, mindfulness, reading, get off social media, take a drive. A good one would be just speak to yourself with love and compassion. And as you are your best friend. Next, what would you say to someone who is struggling with their mental health? I would say the best days and the best times are yet to come. Look forward to your future and do what's best for you. And I I would also end with reach out for help. I would say you are not alone. And I would also share my story with them and I would be there for them. And I would say you are not alone. And this is something that I feel like everyone has heard, but there's a light at the end of the dark tunnel. And there really is. And it may seem impossible to find. But I want to say that there's hope for even the people who feel the most lost. That's when there is the most hope. Listen to that again. The people who feel the most hopeless are the people who will receive the most hope, who will get the most hope. So it's like, don't give up. Your breaking point, you may think, is the breaking out of the shell. That's when it's going to get better. So don't give up. By any means, do not give up. I would tell them, just do not give up. The best is yet to come. Even if you don't see it, it will get better. You just have to believe. You just have to stay strong and that you can do this. Now, another thing. I think this is going to be the last question I'll go with because this one's getting kind of, this episode's getting kind of long. But this question says, what mental health resources are you seeking out for your transition to college? That's a good question. Mental health treatments that I'm seeking out. Mental health resources. Well, first off, I'm excited that there's going to be an on, like, on-school counselor. So I'm excited for that. I'm definitely going to go in there. I mean, any time it's hard transitioning. And just to have that resource, I just want to give it a little dabble. I'd want to do like one session and see how it goes. Like, I love learning just to gain some of the knowledge and wisdom that the person is going to share with me. So I'm most looking forward to the on-campus therapist. Another mental health resource, I think the campus gym and exercise facility will be good. Another resource, taking advantage of the outdoors, like I'm going to Montana, a lot of outdoors, you're happy in nature, it helps you, helps your mind. So that's another big resource that I'm utilizing, so I'm so excited to do that, to be outside. I think that's kind of all the resources that I know of that I'm excited for right now, but otherwise I'm not really too sure exactly on what other resources college offers where I'm going to, but I bet there will be some more, and I'm excited to see what that is, but I'm so far looking forward to the exercise facility, the on-campus therapist, and just being the resource of being outdoors, because that has a great effect on your mental health. It's a positive effect. So yeah, I think 
that would wrap up the episode, but I appreciate you guys all for listening again. This has been amazing. If you haven't already followed the Instagram, follow at the Nest Podcast with Estella. We got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Main thing is Instagram. Get on with the questions. Come hang out. All that fun stuff. Uploading, posting, trying to get every Tuesday. So stay tuned for every Tuesday. And we got some exciting things coming. Rate the show five stars if you like it. That would mean the absolute world to me. And that greatly helps out the podcast. And to write a review wherever you get the podcast, rate five stars. It would mean the world. And I thank you guys for listening. Until next time.